Good morning. Morning. There's some coffee behind me. Great, just what I need. What do you want to write today? I did have this one idea. Have you ever heard a song and felt like it was yours? That it was written for you? Me too. And that's why I moved to Nashville, Tennessee to record and sing songs written by people who have written songs you've heard. The songs you have grown to love, the songs you were raised on, and the songs that you've attached your stories to. Come along with me as I interview songwriters who write the words that inspire all of us. This is What's Mine is Yours. I could take the rain on the roof of this empty house, and that don't bother me. Jeffrey Steele, what hurts the most? Woohoo! Well, Jeffrey Steele. In the house! Oh my gosh. Have you ever been starstruck? Back in, I think it was 78, there was this new band everybody was talking about in LA called The Police. Sting was so amazing. And he's playing bass and he's singing. And I was like, oh my God, that, that's, he's me. That, that's my gig. So me and my buddies followed him over to Barney's Beanery and have breakfast, you know, three in the morning. Most freaked out I've ever been by. Really? By anybody? Anybody. And I've seen everybody. And I just, I respect that space. But this moment was still staying. I was freaking out. And I saw him walk up to it. I'm like, Mike Myers, dude, like your music is so like amazing, dude. You know, and, and he slowly lowers the venue and he goes, would you kindly fucking leave? <laughs> so I was like shattered. So during the 80s, he started this record company called Pangea Records. And he saw me at a showcase and at the whiskey, mm-hmm. the very place I saw him at. And they wanted to sign me to a record deal. I'm like, thank y'all. It's going to sign me to a record deal. <laughs> and then poof, he just jumps out, label falls apart. Gone. Gone, gone, gone. And my career does what it does. And I do what I do. End up in Nashville. Start writing hit songs, blah, 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 blah. One year I'm getting a bunch of awards for a bunch of songs I wrote. And he wrote the song with Toby Keith. Mm. It's I'm so happy I can't stop crying. And it was a number one song for Toby. It was a duet. So Sting was getting a country award for a song with Toby. Mm. So he's at the BMI Awards. Mm. And I'm getting honored that night mm. with a couple of awards. Swear to God, get in the elevator. So I walk into the elevator and it's Miles Copeland and Sting. I'm like pointing at him. All over again. <laughs> All over again. <laughs> Sting. I'm Jeffrey Steele. I'm the guy. You had that label, that Pangea record label. You were going to sign me. Remember? And, and I did showcase the whiskey. He just kind of looks me up and down. And he goes, I have no fucking idea who you are. <laughs> oh, my God. The door opens and he walks off. And I'm standing there with all my buds. No. I'm like, no way. I hope it gets better. Ten more years go by. Maybe 12. Miley Cyrus comes over here. I'm doing this animated movie with John Travolta called Bolt. Will you write the song with me? I said, of course. It got nominated for a Golden Globe. Song of the Year. Golden Globe Award. Academy Awards. We're going out to LA. We got nominated for the freaking award. She's like, yeah. I said, who are we nominated against? Peter Gabriel, Bruce Springsteen, Randy Newman, and Sting. Sting! (laughs) Your best friend. Everybody's taking pictures. I'm getting in the picture. The show's kind of over. And there's Sting. Mm, there he <laughs> is. Guys, he comes up. Ready for this? Did you want to take a picture? Oh, no. You know what I said? I go, yeah, like 10 years ago. 
<laughs> yeah! <laughs> and you won. That was the official mic drop. Ten years ago, I did. Probably wouldn't be this way. I probably wouldn't hurt so bad. I never pictured every minute without you in it. But you left so fast. Tammy Kid Hutton. Probably wouldn't be this way. Tammy. Hello. Hello, Tiffany. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I'm happy to have you here. All of the experiences that you've had thus far in music, what is the most standout moment, good or bad? The most standout moment was just a night. I was in L.A. for Songwriter Awards, and I was at a table, and they were doing a tribute that night to Barry Gibb, who was just a hero of mine, just one of my all-time heroes. Getting to speak to him, I'm just a little overwhelmed because I'm looking around the room and there are all these people. There's Beyonce and just anybody and everybody you mm. can think of. And I'm like, what? how did I get here? So I'm just overwhelmed. And they called my name to give me an award to go come to the stage. And David Foster, who I don't know, I know his daughter, Amy stopped as I was walking to stage to grab me and, and David Foster... And he just grabbed my hand so sincerely, looked at me and smiled the sweetest smile and said, walk slower, they'll play your song longer. So I did. Such wise work. And so that picture was in the paper the next day, you know, from the awards. And so I'm overwhelmed just and then I'm like, okay. I got to get out of here for a sec. I got to take a break. So I walked out through the back door of the kitchen and sorry, mom was looking for a sig to bum. And um, Dave Grohl happened to be out there also taking a break. So it was just the two of us. And he was like, you need a sig? You want a light? Like, Sure. Sure. <laughs> I don't even smoke. And I think I might say yeah. Right. Exactly. So there I hung with him. That's a wild night. I feel like you remember all the smallest of details because it stuck with you. Yes. And I know you said that in the very beginning when you felt this sense of belonging, was that kind of like, OK, now I'm, I really belong in this. Yes. In this songwriting community. Yes. Almost to the point, though, like that night I was like, how did I get here? I'm looking around like these are my peers and I'm accepted as one of them and looked upon as one of them. And how did I get here? Yeah, I can only imagine that's what I would be thinking because it all feels like a dream. It's a dream and it's all your dreams that you've had since you were a little girl. And just once you're able to start taking those off, it's just it's amazing. So this business is awful at times, but it's also the most amazing. It's funny you say that when you say it can be awful at times, yes. because I think a lot of the times we talk a lot about our successes and the really fun, amazing experiences. Yes. But sometimes what people need to hear the most to get through, to keep chasing the dream, is to hear about other people's letdowns and failures. Because it happens to everybody. It, and it happens. And it's how you get up. Yes. And plenty damn many when you want one more. This broke heart fool on an old bar stool drinking beer almost as cold as you. Shane Miner, cold as you. Hello, Shane Miner. Thank you for being here today. Well, it's good to be here. Flash forward a little bit. So while you're pursuing music and you love it and you're writing, dabbling into that growing up, 
What made you then pursue a career in law enforcement? In high school, there was like this career day thing for explorers from Modesto PD. So that turned in to, after I graduated high school, I was 20 fixed and turned 21. And Modesto PD threw me into an outfit called Skidoo, which was Stanislaus County Drug Enforcement Unit. So I went undercover in two high schools and I had to change my name totally different record to look totally different. Nobody knew who I was. I had to go to class and got me a driver's license and everything. What happened is reports that there were parents dealing through the kids in high school. So we had to get the kids to sell and me talk to them and go, where are you getting it? I get my dad. And then they take me around to the house. It's the only way you could get them to let them sell to you. These parents were sending kids to school with LSD, heroin. It was crazy. So how hard is that to be doing that on top of trying to pursue a career in music. It was hard because I was still writing. I was still rodeoing. I would still hit rodeo. You were doing everything. Just doing everything I want. But I'm a young guy running. Sure. I didn't care. Guys I rodeoed with didn't have a clue what I did. Were you feeling like you were going to be giving up music to stay in law enforcement? The eye of my heart was always on the prize. If I knew where I was at, I was supposed to be. And I knew eventually something told me, stay right where you're at. A door will open. That's the truth. Yeah. The undercover high school buy program was great. The poor dean of students was just covered up with so much drug activity and problems. And he kept calling the drug enforcement, please help us. Send me somebody undercover. Send me something. Well, they sent me, but he didn't know. And so I registered that first day of school. They put me in class. And this kid sitting behind me, my name was Steve. Kid sitting behind me, his name was Shane. So when the teacher looked up, he goes, Shane, I'm talking to you. And I went, I thought my cover was blown, and this kid behind me goes, I heard you. And I went, it's kind of like. My heart was like. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So so now you fast forward through the school, and I've gotten the connections I need to get the heroin out of the school, the drugs out of the school, all that stuff. I knew who the players were. I purposely got in trouble. So they kicked me out because nobody knew. They sent me to the dean. He starts kind of, what are you here for? You're you're a pretty good student. I'll never have a problem with you. And I go, I'm here for just one thing. He goes, what? And I knew it was coming close. They were coming close to shutting the school, mm-hmm. busting who they needed to pull out, get the, the problem. Mm-hmm. I said about five or six months ago, called the department and said that needed help with the school, the drugs. Kids are dying in your school. Kids were overdosing on campus. And he looked at me and he got scared. He thought I was a drug addict that knew mm. that he did it. And he goes, yeah, I was just asking for help. And I go, well, they sent it. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, I'm him. And he goes, you're not a student? I go, no, I'm a cop. And he shut the door and he wrapped his arms around me. Still chugs me up. He wrapped his arms around me because he lost so many kids. Mm-hmm. And they closed in on the school. And to this day, I'll never forget it. He was so great. I'll never forget it. I wish I could have saved some of them. I couldn't. Some of the kids I bought from ended up dying before we huh. get to them. I guess it made me who I am. He ended up passing away. We remained friends forever. In a little corner booth, eye to eye, no talk. She leaned in close and gave me one long and wet goodnight, goodbye kiss. And it felt good on my lips. The Warren Brothers felt good on my lips. Warren Brothers, thank you for being here. So when you guys were artists, did you like being artists? Yeah, we did, and then um, we didn't Brett take it that seem serious. Brett doesn't to feel, his face no, no, the we opposite. liked it. Yeah, yeah we, well, 
We're narcissists. I mean, we like attention. <laughs> Let's be honest. We okay. So we we're recovering alcoholics. So the minute we got sober, mm-hmm. like almost the minute that we got sober, we decided that we were songwriters because the artist thing, even in its purest, sweetest, kindest form, is super narcissistic. Oh, absolutely. As you know, right? Oh, so you yeah. have to be a oh, bit yeah. of a complete narcissist even apply for that job. It's so we were it, created to be stars. It's a little um, odd. I kind of actually, I would disagree a little bit. I think that there was, by the way, you, I, I think you, you specifically. You think come it's off good for more, people to be adored by other people that much? I think you seem like you'd be more of the artist in the center stage. Well, he was than Brad. He was. He was the singer in it. Here's the thing: we thought we were the guy. The truth <laughs> is, we were the guy behind the guy. You know what I mean? And it's <laughs> so much better. He is a narcissist quietly, but th- it did go along with like lifestyle choices. You, the minute we got sober and we realized that the world didn't revolve around us and that we weren't that important, we launched into a service industry and we had a great career or we're having or whatever it is. But as artists, we were always a little <laughs> bit behind the eight ball. <laughs> said, we, had, we had a great career. We had a great career. Shit, is it over? Because if it is, why am I doing this podcast? It, we have the only <laughs> job. Well, because we love Tiffany. Yeah, we're hanging out. We have the only job where they don't tell you when you're retired. You could be retired know. for two years in this business and not know it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Did you feel like you were able to be yourself at your label? Oh, no. No, I was always some sort. I mean, and they we were great. Our label was amazing. We weren't faking anything, but they, you know, they sent us to a stylist and we just wore what they told us. And right. they sent us to a producer and we just recorded like he told us. We we were young and green and we weren't really that young, to be honest. We were in our late 20s, but we, we were late, way better at being artists now. Yeah. Maturity wise. Yeah, a little bit. So when we saw our name on the billboard chart at 72, we flipped our lids and got drunk for three days. We had a we huge had, party. Had we our on billboard. We had a number 72 party. Yeah, I mean, wow. a real party with cocaine. I mean, a like number the- 72 party. <laughs> yeah. yeah. With cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow. That's a big deal. That's a big um, deal. Really. Because in- we were so surprised to see our name in print in a Billboard magazine. Well, you know, at least you didn't. Um, sometimes you, you can't find have- any silver lining in that. No, so, but I, I like appreciate it. I'll give it a shot. Mine, right, mine is the cocaine part. Sometimes <laughs> it's really good to um, celebrate yourself, you know, in general, because sometimes we. As artists are always working towards needing to be on the top, that sometimes you don't stop along the way to realize what you have accomplished. And 72 is still an accomplishment. That is a good point. We stopped and smelled the roses. You're positive. In fact, I, we stopped. I think and... I am getting more negative in my old age because I'm like, these people that hey, go, you know what? At least I got up and went to the gym today. I'm like, yeah, but you're barely walking on the treadmill. <laughs> you're wasting your time. Here's the thing, though. We... You, you shouldn't celebrate that. Well, I got up. Well, big deal. No, well, here's the thing. We stopped to smell the roses. The problem is we smelled the mirror, too. Yeah. <laughs> You're waiting on that. We, we lived in the moment a little too much, I think. So <laughs> when did you decide to step away as artists? Was it the cocaine? I think. Well, the, I mean, no, I think the, there was a moment that really dawned on both of us to stop being artists. And it was a very serious, life-changing moment. It was great that we saw it at the same time. And mm-hmm. I think it was right when we got dropped. <laughs> <laughs> That would do it. No, that doesn't do it. Are you kidding me? Look around. No, it doesn't do it at all. Jeffrey Steele, Tammy Kid Hutton, Shane Miner, the Warren Brothers. Because it all starts with a song and a songwriter. Hey, thanks for listening to What's Mine Is Yours, the podcast with Tiffany Woys. Recorded in Nashville, Tennessee. Produced in Los Angeles, California. Presented by Tiffany Woys in conjunction with Roundhouse Entertainment. Executive producers Tiffany Woys and The Ed Hill. 
Original music from Robert Shavers and Kiefer Thompson. Recorded and engineered by Robert Shavers. <laughs>